0: Bibles, we are in the Old Testament book of Ruth, and today we are in chapter two. And as you're turning there this morning, uh, a few years ago, it's actually been several years ago now, um, we uh, it, it was at a time when uh, four of our kids were age five and under uh, at one time, and we decided we would take family pictures, which if you're going to go that route, like it takes commitment to, to go all in on, on pictures uh, when they're that young. And, and a friend of ours was taking the picture for us and they said, hey, there's a great park over here. We'll go to the park. We'll take some outdoor pictures. It'll be great. So we loaded up and we went to the park and it was a beautiful day. Lots of folks out there. There was even a wedding party there that was dressed, uh, you know, in their in their Kind of wedding outfits, getting pictures and everything. So it's a, it's a great. Other people thinking the same thing, and so uh, we kind of walk along a little path, and we find an area, and we lay the blanket out, and we do a couple family shots, and and then we come to what's called the the kid only picture, which is the the chance or the time where you you basically lean the kids on one another, and then you jump out as quickly as possible, and the the photographer is there to like to like get as many pictures and, and as grown adults, you obviously stand behind the camera and look like a complete moron and like scream and laugh and talk about anything you can do just hopefully to get them to look your direction. But two, if like one smiles, that's a win. And so we are like going for it. Uh, and, and in that moment, completely oblivious to life around us. And as we're getting these pictures and going nuts and being very loud uh all of a sudden we hear a wedding song <laughs> and and we turn around and I promise you 20 yards away if not less is a wedding like the people we saw getting their pictures the wedding is happening now and, and so it was a small wedding. It was an outdoor wedding. They had like some little outdoor seats over there. And we look behind and the, the bride is starting to walk down the little thing there. And, and, and we're like, there's a wedding going on. And so we like grab the kids, we grab the blanket and we, we make a run for it. And, and, and we were able, I think, I'm pretty sure it was the groom I talked to just, you know, saying how sorry I was like later in the, in the, in the day at the park. And, and I'm sure we're in their wedding pictures and we're probably a part of their wedding story. Hey, do you remember that family that was like screaming and talking about boogers and stuff, trying to get their kids to, to laugh at a camera? Do you remember that? And, uh, and, and anyway, the reason I share that is because of this, is we were so, so locked in on what was in front of us that we were honestly completely oblivious to the fact that a wedding was happening 20 yards from us, to which I would say a much more important event and a much bigger story. And yet, because all we could see is what was right in front of us, we were just, we were clueless until we finally saw it. We finally got it. And and so that day in particular, our story was a part of a way more important story on that day. And the encouragement is, is that for you, if you're here or you're listening in, the encouragement is, is that even if it may not feel like it, you are a part of a way bigger story than you may realize. I, we are part of a bigger story than we may realize and this is what we see in the book of Ruth. We're fortunate. We can zoom out just like a camera and we can see the whole thing. If you've read the book of Ruth, maybe you know how it ends. You can see how like it's all going to work together. But, but Naomi and Ruth can't see that. We can. All they can see is honestly what the 10-year the nightmare they've just walked through. Um, and so, so little do they know that God is going to use their story as a part of His bigger story and what we'll call the grand redemptive narrative of Scripture. And that is how from Genesis to Revelation, there is one story that the Word of God is all pointing toward and that is the redemption of Jesus. It's looking ahead to Jesus in the Old Testament. It's looking back at the finished work of Jesus on the cross and it is the story of how God is redeeming a people from himself and he's taking them from this land of famine and he's planting them in a, in a, in a, in a land of feast and how he's picking them up from a wasteland and how he is blessing them with a life giving relationship that will last for all eternity. And so this is so easy for us to see, but so hard for Ruth and Naomi to see. And so before we jump into chapter two, I want to give a very quick kind of like what happened in chapter one as we head into chapter two. So chapter one opens with introducing us to a family. It's it's a a husband and wife couple, uh, Naomi and Elimelech, and they're a married couple. They have two boys. Their name are Malon and Kilion, and they live there in Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. But when you open up the book of Ruth, you find there is no bread in Bethlehem because there is a famine in Bethlehem. And and so what Elimelech chooses to do is is he decides to turn his back on the the promise of God. He's there in the promised land. Turn his back on the people of God. Turn his back on the land of God. And instead, he's going to do what in his mind feels like the right thing to do and what he wants to do. And so he takes his family and, and... they travel, the word is sojourn, for about 60 miles to a land called Moab. And and here's the thing. Moab and Israelites, Moabites and Israelites, there's been a tension between Moabites and Israelites for a long, long time. Elimelech is like, let's go to the greener grass. Let's go to the greener grass. But the greener grass isn't always greener on the other side. And so as they... Journey over there, the Moabites, if you trace their their lineage, you will find that Lot, Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Lot had an incestuous relationship with his oldest daughter. He and his oldest daughter had a child, and they named that child Moab. And that's how the Moabites began. When you see the Israelites leaving Egypt, headed towards the promised land, it was the Moabites that made it difficult for them to pass. It was also the Moabites in the time of the judges. It was a real kind of dark time for the people of Israel. The Moabites actually ruled over for a little while during the time of judges as well. And so there's all kinds of tension between the Moabites and the Israelites. And so they're over there and literally 10 year nightmare. Limelech dies. Naomi's now a widow. She has two sons. While they're in Moab, they marry Moabite wives. You can imagine how the Israelites felt about how Israelites would intermarry with Moabites. And so uh, obviously this was, this was kind of like going outside the lines for them. And, and so, so, but, but in a matter of time, by the way, their names were Orpah and Ruth. And, and in just a matter of time, now both the boys, Malon and Kilion, pass away. And so I want you to just try, I want us to try to think about what it must have been like for Naomi. That was, it was all going to be a sojourn, but a sojourn can turn into 10 years before you know it. They've been there 10 years and her husband has passed away. Both her boys have passed away. Her heart is shattered and she has two Moabite daughter-in-laws. And as she gets word while in Moab that there's bread in Bethlehem again, she repents. That's the word is she turns, she turns from Moab and she turns back to Bethlehem and her two daughters-in-law, they want to go with her. And so they're, 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 they're loving on her. They want to go with her. They want to stay with her. And Naomi is basically begging them to stay. It's like, listen, you realize you're a Moabite. This is Bethlehem. It's not going to be good for you. She told them how bitter she was. She was like, listen, you just need to go back, go to stay here, get married again, have children, like just live life here. And Orpah, Kissed her mother-in-law and basically kissed her goodbye. We don't read about Orpah anymore in the book of Ruth. But Ruth clung to her. Over in, in Ruth chapter 1, there's a, there's, a, there's a couple verses of commitment that, that you may have heard in a wedding. Because it's one of the strongest, most powerful, most beautiful um, kind of like um, vows of commitment that you'll read in all of Scripture. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. And she clings. The Bible says she clings to her. It's the same word you used in Genesis 2.24 when a, a husband and, and wife will leave their, their mother and father and cling to one another. It's the same word. And so she is clung. And she is with her. And as they make it back to Bethlehem, you can imagine the stir. 10 years. Is that Naomi? The Bible says, is that Naomi? I mean, you can imagine what a 10 year nightmare can, 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 can wear on you. And where's your husband? Where's your boys? All she has is Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law. And here they are. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. She says, call me Mara because it means bitter. She, her life had become bitter to her. And she's struggling and she's wrestling. And, and it's in this time where, like, like, when all you can see is brokenness, you're like, how can, like, what is going on with here? here? But what we're able to see is how even in the darkest hour, the darkest hour, even in Ruth and Naomi's darkest hour, even in the nation of Israel's darkest hours, the time of the judges, God is at work. He's at work. And He's setting the stage... For a story that is way bigger than they could ever see or imagine. And that's all they can see. And so there is one kind of ray of sunshine that we read in chapter 1 before heading to chapter 2. And that is the time of year that they made it back to Bethlehem. And it was the time of harvest. It was for the Israelites what would be the most joyous occasion. Of giving glory to God and praise for His provision. This is the time. In their darkest hour... Spring has come and it's harvest time. And in their darkest hour, in their darkest day, God is at work. So let's look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, And Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now I want to s- stop there just for a moment because the writer's giving us a heads up. Um, giving us a heads up that, hey, in a little while we're going to meet Boaz. And here's what you need to know about Boaz. Boaz is a worthy man. He's a worthy man. That word worthy can mean a couple different things. It can certainly mean that he is a man of means. He is wealthy and we will see that he is. Um, But you will also see that worthy can mean a man of character. So he's a godly man. He loves the Lord. He loves God. He loves people. This is who he is. And he's of The clan of Eliminate, like this is his family. So so Ruth is going to know this. We'll see that. Or excuse me, Naomi is. Ruth is going to be clueless who Boaz is. But it's important for us to know that Boaz is in the family. And that's important for us to remember. And so as we look at verse 2, And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight, I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Let me go to the field and glean. Hard work. <laughs> really hard work. Gleaning is hard work. But it's amazing what you'll do when you're starving. It's amazing what a person will do when they're desperate. And so for Ruth and Naomi, they, they're destitute. They don't have food. They need food. I'm, I'm overwhelmed to say that there has never been a time in my life where I have not had a meal to eat. And so I, it's hard to relate, but they're this is the life they're living and they're like, we got to get some food. And so Ruth is like, I'll go, let me go, let me go. And who's filled? I'll find favor and I'll glean. And here's what's amazing. Is, is Naomi would have known this, and I'm sure Naomi told Ruth, is that years before God put a, a law in action with his people. And it's a law for the purpose of providing for the poor and the destitute. If you look back at Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, here's what the law says. This is what God commanded his people Israel. He said this, when you reap the harvest of your land, it's harvest time. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up into its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God has always had a heart for those who may seem marginalized. Those who maybe are forgotten. Those who don't have a meal to eat. Those who don't maybe have a place to lay their head at night. God has a heart for the poor. And so Naomi knows this and so does Ruth. And so what Ruth is going to do is she's going to go find a field. And if the field owner loves God and is obedient to this Old Testament law that we' read about then guess what there's going to be some around the margins that she can go and she can pick up but she's got to find a field of a man or a, or, a, or a family that loves the Lord because if you love the Lord you obey what he says that's what Jesus told us if you love me you'll obey my commands and so she's going out and she's going to need favor because she is a she's she's going to be a woman all by herself she's She's a, she's a widowed woman all by herself. And she's a widowed woman Moabitess by herself. And so there must be favor in wherever she lands in verse three, I love this verse. So she set out and she went out and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. God is at work. You see the providence of God. It just so happened. It just so happened. It just so happened. Naomi got word while she was in Moab that there's bread in Bethlehem again. And to which I share and I'm convinced God got word to her. She gets back and it just so happens it's barley harvest. And it just so happens that this law is already in place that is going to provide provision for them in their destitute place of life. And it just so happened that of all the fields that she could have gone to in Bethlehem that day, like, like there's no like welcome to uh Elimelech farms or anything like that. There's, there's nothing like there. There's no like fencing. It's just, it's just out there. And, and uh, it just so happened that she lands in the field of Boaz. And she doesn't even know who Boaz is. And so you see, God is at work. God's at work. And then I love this. I love, she just so happens to be in Boaz, Boaz's field. And in verse four, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So it, it, it just so happened, all these, and it just so happens. <laughs> and it just so happened that while she's in Boaz's field, it just so happened that Boaz leaves Bethlehem. don't know exactly where this field is at in relation, but Boaz shows up. And I think this is a good moment to just take a, a kind of a break and see what Ruth is doing. Ruth has come to place her faith and trust in the one true living God. We read about her testimony over in Ruth one, you're God, my God. And so she trusts God and she trusts his word. She, she, whether she knew it or Naomi taught it to her or where she picked it up, she knew what God's word said. She knew what God's law said. And so based on her trust of her trustworthiness of God's word and based on the fact that if I live in obedience to his word, I know that God is going to be faithful and in his providence and because of his word and because of his providence that by his grace, she moves forward and obeys in faith and with confidence to which for us, here's the encouragement. I, my hunch is probably all of us have access to the word of God. And it is one thing to, to have the word of God. It is one thing to know the word of God. It is another thing to live the word of God. And this is what Ruth does. Ruth lives the word based on the trustworthiness of his word and his providence and care. Warren Wiersbe says it like this. To live by faith means to take God at his word and then act upon it. For faith without works is dead. James 2.20. Since Ruth believed that God loved her. And he would provide for her. She set out to find a field. To glean in. And that's exactly what she did. And for us as believers. The providence of God. Is one of the most powerful. Powerful. Powerful sources of comfort. That we could ever have. To rest in his grace. And in his sovereignty. And in his providence. That he will lead us and guide us for our good and His glory always. God's providence is God's caring provision in His life for His people as He guides them in their journey of faith through life, accomplishing His purpose for them. I love the, the providence of God. We could probably um, just open up a mic and just share testimony of like God's providence, those just-so-happened moments in our lives when all along, if we peel back, we see it was God's grace and we see God's love and we see God's care. I think about, I think about the providence of God and I think about how, um, I mean, I could go a lot of different directions, but I mean, just even for Amber and I as we were actually before we were married almost 15 years, we were about to get married and we were talking and I've shared a little bit of your, our testimony about just adoption and foster care and. And the desire to be engaged in that, and knowing what God's word says as far as His heart for the orphan, His heart for the fatherless, and and we see this, and we so so we know God's heart, and we know we need to be engaged. Maybe it looks different, but but for us, we really felt compelled to to adopt and pursue foster care, and and so uh, just to kind of fast forward fifteen, almost fifteen years, and it just so happened by God's grace, He has allowed us to to come to Olive Branch, Mississippi and to serve and to pour into this community. And we love this faith family and we love this community and we're so thankful. And it just so happens that, that we had wrapped up our foster licensing uh, classes care, just trusting God on his timetable and his, his, his timing and his green light. And it just so happened that we got a call uh, from Le Bonheur, uh in the mid August uh, for a brand new little baby. And, and, and as this morning at 3 AM and I was holding that little dude with a bottle in his mouth, I just looked at him. And, and honestly, I think of the providence of God, you just see God's grace and you see his, his allowing and his guiding and his moving. And, and, and if you stop for a minute and you peel back, you just see God's hand. And so for Ruth, she trusted his word. She trusted in his providence His love for her, this allowed her to obey with with confidence and and grace. And so, I love it. It goes on to say in verse 4, And and he said to the reapers, this is Boaz talking now, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And there is so, I I share this with the 8 8 a.m. service, there are so many rabbit trails we could chase. And we're going to stay tight to it. but, But even just, Elimelech was a worthy man. He was a godly man. He was a spiritual man. Even with his workers, he was like, God bless you. God bless you. He was concerned about their spiritual relationship. I love that about Boaz. And they answered, Lord bless you. I mean, we all want to work for guys like Elimelech or if you're in a place of serving, or I'm sorry, like Boaz. I mean, Boaz was just an amazing man. But then he says this in verse five. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers? Whose young woman is this? And there's two ways to read that. And I'm going to do my best to say it the best way in both ways. Okay. Whose young woman is this? Whose young woman is this? <laughs> and so one is like, who's in my field? And then one is like, whoa who's that? And, and, and couples and, 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 uh, you remember that first time and you saw your, what would become your future spouse and, uh, probably unique stories all around, but my hunch is somewhere along the way, there's some fluttering going on. There's some heart pounding going on. I remember seeing my lovely bride at macaroni grill, blind date. All I saw was a school she was a school teacher, a picture on a school website and I'm standing in the lobby and here she comes, my heart's pounding out of my shirt. And I'm just like, don't mess this up, Jared, don't mess this up. And so, so like, never forget that. And so, and so here is Boaz. He's like, who is that? <laughs> and verse six, and the servant who was in the charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman. Who, said back, who, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, and she said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Ruth is a worker. Ruth is a worker. She is working hard. She's only taken a little bit of a rest, and now something profound happens in the story. And even in our Western culture and centuries removed, it's hard to really appreciate what's happening right now. But let's go the first five words of of verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth. And this is a profound thing. This is a profound moment. Because not only is this man pursuing this woman, but he is pursuing a Moabite woman. And I love this. The Lord of the harvest... The owner of the harvest, the harvest, the Lord of the harvest is pursuing her, a foreigner from the land of idolatry, from the land of immorality. He is pursuing after her. And Boaz is modeling God's love of how he pursues us. He pursues us. We love because God first loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave, he pursued us. He gave, he pursues, he gave, he initiated, he pursued. And so we see this in Boaz, Boaz Boaz's grace and mercy. And in him, we see a picture of how God pursues us in grace and mercy, because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I can relate to a Moabite. And my hunch is we all can relate to Moabites. Why? Because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are desperate for God's favor and God's grace and God's mercy to supply our deepest need. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. And what does He do? He pursues us in His grace and in His love and in His mercy and in His favor and through relationship accepts us in His beloved and allows us peace with Him and eternity with Him. For our good and for His glory. In verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth. Now listen. My daughter do not go to glean in another field. Or leave this one. But keep close to my young men. Let your eyes be on the field. That they are reaping. And go after them. And I have, have I not charged the young men not to touch you. And, and when you are thirsty. Go to the vessels. And drink what the young men have drawn. And Boaz And I don't know exactly hearing like how it all here. But what I hear is him pleading, stay in the field. Stay right here. You don't have to search for another field like you're searching for satisfaction. You're searching for satisfaction, even a deeper satisfaction than you may even realize. It's way bigger than 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 food. And so Boaz is is saying, listen, don't, don't wander into another field. Don't, you don't have to go to another field. You stay right here in this field and I will protect you and I will provide for you. You stay under my care and under my cover. Verse 10 says, and she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? You remember what she said to Naomi before she hit out the road? In whose field I find favor. She's found it. And she's she's overwhelmed by God's favor. But Boaz in verse 11 answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And now the Lord of the harvest is not only going to have a conversation with her, not only kind of setting up to make sure she's provided for, he's going to say, come to my table. The Lord of the harvest is saying, come and dine with me. Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her the roasted grain. This is amazing because the guy who is in charge and the guy who's the owner and the guy who is supplying all his workers' needs, the Lord of the harvest has now taken the, the form of a servant. And now the Lord of the harvest is serving Ruth. Serving her this bread and at this meal. It's, it's incredible. It reminds me so much of Jesus Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord of the harvest serves. I think about Jesus in that upper room on the night of his betrayal. He gets up from the table and he puts a, a towel around his waist and he washes the disciples' feet. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Boaz served and Ruth received. The Bible says in verse 14 that she ate until she was satisfied. And she came she had some left over and when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley And she took it up and she went in the city. And I love, I don't even know if Ruth, Ruth knows Boaz is doing all this. But basically behind the scenes, like Boaz is like making sure she is taken care of. She's telling her guys like, listen, you, you, you leave more behind. You give her everything she needs. You make sure she's taken care of. Don't let anybody lay a hand on her. Like Ruth is just going about her business. And here's Boaz. He is protecting her and he is providing for her. And she takes an ephah of barley and she took it up and went into the city. I don't know how far away she is, but an ephah of of the food I learned is between 20 and 50 pounds. So now we all have a lot more respect for Ruth than we did before I said that. She's a worker. She's a hard worker. She's been destitute. She knows what she went out to do. She now has, I can only imagine it's maybe up on her shoulder. And, and, and can you imagine? I don't know. She said go up. Jerusalem is up. Bethlehem's right outside Jerusalem. It's called the mountain city. No matter where you are in Israel, you're going up if you're going to Bethlehem or Jerusalem. So she's going up. She's going up and she's got this. And think about Naomi. What was the last thing Naomi saw? Her going out the door. I can only imagine like, I wonder what's happened to her. I wonder if she's Okay. I wonder if she's going to find anything. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And then all of a sudden, here comes Ruth with a big old 20 to 50 pound sack of food and just walks up in that table. And can you imagine Naomi trying to pick her jaw off the ground? And she just goes, whoom, and puts it down. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And look at this, she also, Ruth, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. In other words, 20 to 50 pound bag of wheat, boom. And then like, and here's my breadsticks from this afternoon too, like enjoy that too. And they're being overwhelmed by God's provision in their lives. Amazing. Naomi had to have been preparing for the worst. And the, the, the woman whose heart would be characterized as bitter is now turning to blessed. I love that. In verse 19, and her mother in law said to her, Where did you glean? <laughs> where did you go? Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she, so she told her mother in law. Now, if her jaw isn't already on the ground, it's, it's going to go through the ground when she's about to say what she's about to say. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. Ding, 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 ding. Like, like we're going to get into what all that means a little more next week. But Naomi's like, the dots are connecting. She knows Boaz. This is... This is the kinsman redeemer. This is the family redeemer. This is the one that, like, there's a way that that we can be redeemed from our broken situation and and made right and be brought in and be lifted up. Verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers. So again, we're going to, Levitical law, just like made a way for the poor and destitute to be, to be taken care of, there's also law to take care of those families who have lost those who were closest to them. In verse 21, and I wrap up here. And, the, and Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter in law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman. And I wonder how hard that might have been for her. She married one of her sons, but yet she's seeing all that is unfolding, and God is unfolding, and she's she's essentially releasing her. She says, "Lest another in a field, lest in a field you be assaulted." Verse twenty three. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother in law. So this letter's meant to be read in one sitting. So again, it feels a little bit like, and she went back home and lived with her mother-in-law. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of that, like if you're familiar with the story, you know there's a, you know, the love story's coming, all that. And, and, and it seems kind of an abrupt ending a bit. But again, this was all meant to be read in, in, one, in one sitting. But what we see is even in the abrupt ending, what God's working He's working, he's providing, he's setting the stage for their story to be a part of a bigger story. And I pray that is our encouragement today is that we would understand a little bit more that we would understand a little bit more. Like our story. Isn't just about us, that what Ruth and Naomi and Boaz don't understand, they are playing a lead supporting role in the greatest film ever. And it's about the glory of God. Because it's all about Him. We're made for His glory and for His mission. And so as we look at this. There are a couple just uh, areas of encouragement for us as believers. And one, I would say two believers. Is that, is that Boaz was a godly man. Boaz characterized Christ's likeness. And so must we. God's design just like He did to Abraham. You're blessed to be a blessing. All of us are blessed to be a blessing. And God has called His church to love and to serve the poor. It was always God's design that God's people would look after and care for those who are destitute and who are in need. And so what you see in Boaz is he is honoring God with his fields. He's honoring God with, with how he's living his life. And he is showing great kindness and generosity to those Who are in great need. And in Christmas season, which is typically marked by a season of giving, could it be that God might direct our hearts to give to those who are considered by society to be most marginalized or most forgotten? God's earliest design was to care for those in great need. Just this past Wednesday night, our prayer meeting. Uh, we prayed over specific things, but when we wrapped up, we specifically prayed for people who are hurting in this Christmas season. And that could be strained relationships. It could be uh, it could be any number of things. It could be financial hardship. Uh, for many, this is the greatest time of year. For many, this is the toughest time of year. And so just that sensitivity to be caring, I, I saw a statistic that 689 million people in our world, live in extreme poverty, which means less than $1.90 a day. Perhaps God is calling us to be generous to the poor, as Boaz was, and those in need, and to be sensitive to those needs. And it might be the encouragement as a believer, perhaps, like, if you remember Boaz was telling Ruth, like, stay in the land, stay in the land, stay in the land, and it's, you know, it's kind of like, it's a picture but we know what God desires from us as believers. We're not expected to, to be perfect and do it all right, but by God's grace we desire to. We want to honor Him. And so have we found ourselves as believers just being like, I'm just gonna take a little sojourn to Moab and, and it's 10 years later? It's like Naomi. Or 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 maybe the encouragement is perhaps the Lord through his word is saying, Listen, I know it's tempting. I know it's tempting to, to step out of the field of my blessing. And I bless obedience and I know there's this desire of maybe this greener grass or maybe just for a little while or maybe, but like, I just hear Boaz saying, pleading like, no, stay, it's empty. Like, here's the only place you're going to be satisfied. You're going to be satisfied when you are living yielded to me. And so stay, don't chase after those empty, broken things. Stay in the field, stay in the field and be satisfied. And it could be that you relate to Ruth in the story. And maybe not so much as like you're going out to a field to find food to put on your table tonight, but you might could relate to the spiritual poverty that she reflects in the story. She was a, a Moabite, she was from a land of idolatry, sexual immorality. And and perhaps like me, I just share with our first step class a little bit earlier before before we came in here. It's like, listen, nobody has to tell me that I'm a sinner. I know. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there is a spiritual poverty that all people have. And that our only hope and remedy to be forgiven of our sin is a relationship with Jesus. I love what the Bible says in Matthew 5, 3. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed means fully satisfied. What did did Boaz tell Ruth. Stay here and be satisfied. She ate till she was satisfied. Fully satisfied are the poor in spirit. Poor means completely impoverished. Not like college poor, I don't have enough money to get more ramen noodles. Like like the type of poverty that says, I have no ability whatsoever to provide for myself. That is the spiritual shape we're in as we live in this broken place. And yet God pursues us. And He pursues us in our our sin and in our immorality and in our far from Godness. And He pursues us in His grace and in His mercy and in His love. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Boaz is the Lord of the harvest, but King Jesus is the Lord of all. And if you acknowledge your spiritual destituteness and change your mind about that sin and surrender your life to King Jesus, he will save you. He will rescue you just like Boaz is rescuing Ruth. I am a rescued person by the grace of God. And so, however the word lands on you, I pray that we will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading And not miss out on whatever it is God has for us in this moment. Because in just a minute, we're going to sing a song. We're going to say amen. And then it's time to eat lunch. I I get it. But let's not miss if there's something God is desiring us to do. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. Pastors will be down front. If you need somebody to pray over you, we would love to pray over you. If you're here and you're like, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus, we would love to pray with you. You want to come pray at the altar? You can come pray at the altar. But let's just be sensitive to how the, the Lord of Lords would desire to lead us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your amazing mercy. God, you don't give us what we do deserve. And you do give us what we don't deserve your grace and your mercy. And so, Father, I pray for the believers that we will have the sensitivity and the kindness and the godliness of a man like Boaz. A man who is faithful to you and to your word and to loving you and loving people. And God, and in this season of Christmas time, there are people who are hurting. God, help us be sensitive to how you're calling us to become involved with those who are hurting and God I pray that if there's any believer here that is maybe without even realizing just kind of subtly veering into a a field of of not honoring you whatever that is God your your grace is enough and and you restore us and you wash us up and you, you make us right God and so um God may we stay in your field and not be tempted to chase after the empty stuff. Thinking it will be satisfying. But it's not. Only satisfaction comes from you. And Father for anybody Who doesn't have a personal relationship with you. I pray today will be the day of salvation. God we love you. And we praise you in Jesus name. Amen.